0: The second season of PPC. I'm your host, Peach Schwartz. The tale I am about to tell you is a long one, so we've broken it up into four episodes. This is part one. Before I begin, please make sure your children are in bed, or at least out of the room. This story is not for the squeamish. In fact. This is probably the most violent episode we've ever done. So buckle up, sit back, and allow me to introduce you to the legend of the Halifax Pit Ripper. One hundred years ago, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, there lived a serial murderer named Henry Young, a.k.a. the Halifax Pit Ripper this man admitted to killing 15 people between the years of 1895 and 1897. All victims were male between the age of 20 and 30. The city of Halifax lived in horror, day in, day out, afraid to leave their houses for nearly two years, afraid of the pit ripper, Nobody had any leads. It was a small town, but, or a city, but nobody ever saw him in the act. He was like a ghost. Now, before I go any further, I think it's important to give the listeners a sense of Halifax's haunted history. For those of you out there who don't know anything about Halifax, Nova Scotia, here's a quick history lesson from a local writer Vernon Oikel, his wife Helen Oikel, is going to be reading a passage from her husband's latest book, Ghost Stories of Nova Scotia, which is set for publication sometime in 2015. It's important to understand that Vernon Oikel shares the same attitude as J.D. Salinger when it comes to publishing. So Whenever he completes a book, it goes into a vault for like 20 years until it's ready for the public. And now, please enjoy this sneak peek from Ghost Stories of Nova Scotia by Vernon oikel
1: But paranormal activity is not new to Halifax. Ghosts have been reported in Halifax since the city was founded. When Colonel Edward Cornwallis and 2,600 settlers climbed upon its shores in 1749, however, perhaps some of the more, more intriguing stories are a direct result of the explosion of 1917. A head in silhouette on the third floor of the Saint Paul's Anglican Church shines as a haunting reminder of one of the most devastating man-made explosions in human history. Several streets up the steep hills sits the former Victoria General Hospital, where many of the wounded were cared for. There is, it said, a gray nun wanders the hall in search of the dying. In 1917, Halifax Harbor was a bustling hub of activity where ships, troops, and supplies were gathered and transported to Europe as part of the Second World War effort. The city's population had grown in relation to that effort, with many moving to Halifax to take advantage of the prosperity war often offers. The morning of December the 6th was no different than any other typical morning. Boats were being loaded and unloaded, children walked to school, businesses opened for the day, and trains ran on time. At 7.30 am, Both the French freighter Mont Blanc and the Norwegian ship Emo weighed anchor from the Bedford Basin, heading for the narrows and points beyond. The Mont Blanc was loaded with a volatile mix of wet and dry pitric acid, TNT, gun cotton, and benzol, bound for the European arena. The Emo, under ballast, was destined for New York. At approximately 8 40 a.m., they collided as the Emo struck the bow of the Mont Blanc. Fire broke out immediately on the French freighter. The captain and crew, fearing an imminent explosion, took to lifeboats and rowed to the Dartmouth side of the harbor. The Mont Blanc burned for 20 minutes and came to rest at Pier 6. many stopped to observe, unaware of the boat's dangerous cargo. Between 9.04 and 9.05 a.m., she exploded. She disintegrated into fragments, decimating population and property both far and near. Almost 2,000 people died, well over 4,000 were maimed and injured. 1,630 buildings were reduced to rubble, and 12,000 were damaged. Windows rattled up and down the distant shores of the province. While Halifax already had her share of ghost stories, they would grow to legendary proportions after this explosion.
0: Now, before I go any further, allow me a few minutes to explain exactly what armpitting is.
2: So, armpitting is basically
0: this is Tammy Flonk, PhD in Paranormal Science and local poet laureate.
2: Like, back in the Civil War days, men used to cut the extremities from the slain, um, So, eyes, nose, hands, feet, ears, and genitals. Then these body parts were strung together and hung around their armpits.
0: Whoa, that's gross. Yeah. I'm a little confused because I can't really picture what that would look like. You know?
2: Right? Yeah, it's hard to get a mental image from what is described here, but basically, the body parts were all on one string, and the string was draped over the shoulders and around the neck. So the body parts are left dangling down from the armpits. Here, I have several graphic pictures I'd like to show you.
0: Oh, God. That's, that's terrible.
2: Here's another good one.
0: Jesus. Oh, Jesus Christ.
2: They believe that ghost powers came directly from a corpse in its current state. So they hobbled the corpses to stop them from gaining ghost powers. Because it was believed that if you hobble the corpse, you hobble the ghost. Mind you, the ghost would be left at peace, but it would not have the power to terrorize its murderer. I've actually written a poem about armpitting. Would you like to hear it?
0: No, no, thank you. We don't have time for that. Now, let's rewind. Back to 1895, when the Halifax pit ripper stabbed his first victim through the heart propped him up against a tree in the graveyard, and promptly armpitted him. His name is Tony Bland, and he was buried in the old graveyard off Spring Garden Road. He was only 21 years old. Just two days later, the pit ripper struck again, this time murdering an older man, around 35 or so, chopping off his bits and pieces with more precision this time. He was getting better at it. These horrific bloody massacres went on and on for years. Sometimes he would take long breaks, but the killings continued right on up until October of 1897 when the Halifax Pit Ripper was finally brought to justice. Yeah, it was my great-grandfather who sold him that night. This is Tom Clark, great-grandson of Sir James Clark the man responsible for capturing the Halifax Pit Ripper. The story goes like this. James was walking home, taking a shortcut through the alleyway, when a tall, shadowy man passed him. The man had dead eyes, and he was holding a big, bloody knife, and there was blood all right over his face. And so James thought this was a wee bit suspicious. So then James confronted this dark, shadowy man. He threatened to call the authorities, and then they got into, what Tom calls, a right proper scuffle which escalated into a full-blown wrestling match. Okay, so here's my great-grandpapa's journal. He wrote a lot about that night and he talked a lot about that night, you know? He was right proud of himself for catching this monster. So here it goes. Oh, what a dark and splendid night it has become, for it is I, right, Sir James Clark. "'who has captured this beast, this monster, "'who goes by the name of Henry Young. Dearest peoples of Halifax, "'be still your fragile hearts, "'for the terror has now ceased to terrorize your poor souls. "'We wrestle, and oh, we wrestled well into the night, "'and the onlookers watched, aghast, afraid. "'I managed to get him in a headlock, "'and soon the authorities did arrive to take him away. "'Alas!' The pit ripper is no more. All odds are now against him, pitting another arm. I just can't believe it was Henry this whole time. Of course, he'd always been a strange bloke, but who would have thought him capable of such disagreeable behavior? He is due to be hung on Friday's Eve. And indeed, the Halifax pit ripper, a.k.a. Henry Young, a.k.a. the neighborhood of Recluse, who lived on a hill and survived on the wealth of his parents' good fortune, was killed. And before his execution, he hardly spoke a word. He admitted to killing all those people, but he never explained what his motivation was. He had no history of violence. He was a wealthy man, but he was also a lonely man and historians suspect that this loneliness had driven him completely insane. His parents were disgraced, so mortified and ashamed that they sold their mansion on the hill and moved back to England. Henry was executed the next day, hung until death, And that was the last of the Halifax pit ripper. The city of Halifax was safe and sound. Or so they thought. One morning, precisely 25 years after the execution of Henry Young, the body of Patrick Bundy was found in the oldest cemetery in Halifax. Those who found his body would be forever scarred from the grisly scene. Bundy's body was mutilated, arm-pitted, pitted, from head to toe. Okay, now try to keep track of these dates and maybe you'll see a pattern here. Patrick Bundy, his remains were discovered on March 6th, 1922. 25 years later, on March 6th, 1947, another's man, another man's corpse was found in the exact spot. Leaning up against the same tree in the old cemetery, His eyes, ears, nose, hands, feet, and other extremities were hanging from his armpits. 25 years after that, March 6th, 1972, yet another man, Jonathan Potter, is murdered. Murdered in the same way, found in the same spot. The date of today is March 5th, 1997. My partner Ray and I have just arrived in Halifax, Nova Scotia. The old burial ground is our first destination and we are determined to find some answers. Six hours from now, the clock will strike midnight, marking the 100th anniversary of the death of Henry Young. The 100th anniversary of the legend of the Pit Ripper's ghost. Please join us next week for part two in this special four-part mini-series. Here's a preview of what's to come.
2: When he got on a plane in Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger who gave his name as D.A. Cooper. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, ransoming the passengers in Seattle, then making a getaway by parachute somewhere between there and Reno, Nevada, the description on one wire service, Master Criminal.
0: Good night, dear listeners. Good night.